just cherish every moment I have with someone because you never know when it's going to end. For a long time, I didn't understand. I didn't understand. I, I could never get and understand why with someone I started to get to love and be so into and be influenced by and look up so much and then they, they get taken away. It's my privilege to introduce you to my friend, King Roy Hampton. He joined the C.L. Thomas Fellowship Group. I didn't know who he was, but here walks in this big old basketball player ready to learn from me, and I learned from him, as you will during this conversation. He reflects honestly and openly about the hardships of growing up, the challenges that he had, the lessons he's learned, and how he's become an entrepreneur and a business owner. So enjoy this conversation with King Roy Hampton. Welcome to the Become a Provider podcast, a show about how people bless and protect others and how you can do the same. I'm your host, Justin Thomas. Let's begin. King Roy Hampton, welcome to the Become a Provider podcast, my man. Indeed. I thank you. It's an honor. It's definitely an honor. Right before this, we were talking about what you're going to do this weekend. And he said, let's put up some shots because you and I share a love of basketball. And maybe let's start there. My love of basketball came from my family, very athletic family. I have a um, older cousin slash brother. His name is Rayshon Terry, who played for the University of North Carolina. You know, basketball has always been a part of our family. Sports in general has always been a part of my family. However, I did not play basketball none of my high school. I played football. As a freshman, I played varsity football all the way up until graduating. But, you know, basketball was, was, was right there. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, oh you should have won football. You should have played football. But, you know, I made a, a real strong and bold decision to, you know, go in basketball. I never forget. I graduated. I'm happy. I graduated. It felt like a, a big weight lifted off my shoulders because, you know, I was the second in my family to graduate from high school. And so, you know, just doing that was an accomplishment of itself. And I was like, okay, my mom's going to be out my hair now. You know, I never forget. I was um, trying to think about going to the Army. Um, I knew I had to get out of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. So I was thinking about going to the Army, playing basketball. Uh, a coach from Rock Hill, South Carolina, his name was Donald Payton, gave me a phone call. I answered the phone. I don't know how he got my number to this day. And he said, how you doing, man? I heard you play basketball. I heard you crack well. I heard you, you know, a football star. How about you come down here to Rock Hill, South Carolina and, you know, try out? For me, from, from the south side of Winston-Salem, North Carolina, I Yes, I, I will be there. I will come. I will do whatever it is to play basketball because I, I felt like it was so hard to, to get people to realize that I wanted to play basketball, not football. That's where my love began. But before, you know, all the great things that started happening, it came, um, I would say my true love came from um, Happy Hill Gardens. It was a project I lived in. And uh, William G. Sims Center was a recreation that was in my projects. And I would go there every day after school. Every day after school, they would have um, an hour for homework time where they made us, you know, do our homework before playing basketball. Mr. Piggott, huh, Mr. Piggott, a great man from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, who ran the Sim Center. He opened the doors for me, and I started playing basketball every day since then. I was around about 13, 14. It was over. Basketball was everything to me. Well, and take us back to growing up in Winston-Salem and the people that helped provide for you to help you get to getting that opportunity to play college basketball, who are the people that stand out to you along your journey? I definitely would say my mother. I was born in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and I moved back to Winston-Salem, North Carolina when I was in elementary school. Before then, we was living in the great Eden, North Carolina. 
of the country. And um, my mother, single parent, working so much, so hard, um, made a conscious decision one day to say, all right, listen, told me and my sister, pack up. We're moving to Winston, North Carolina. Of course, that's very different for me and my sister, but we packed up our little trash bags and clothes. We got in the car, my mama's two-door car she had. We traveled to Winston, North Carolina. And I, I'll never forget, it was raining so hard. My mother couldn't barely see. She pulled over to the side of the road and she was like, y'all, both of y'all get on your knees and pray. Both of you get on your knees and pray. That was a lesson right there. My mother always instilled that into me. Um, instilled God, always pray, always have faith. So I owe a great deal to my mother because without my mother, I wouldn't be where I am today. I definitely wouldn't be where I am today, just being a hardworking mom. I definitely didn't see some of her lessons and didn't understand them. So um, I'm blessed. I'm definitely blessed. So um, moving to Western North Carolina, I moved in with my auntie and my uncle. I went to Forest Park Elementary School on the south side of Western North Carolina. And I remember being an okay, okay student in school. I was okay. I was definitely a class clown. My teachers, <laughs> my teachers would definitely vouch for that. <laughs> you know, I, think I would say just a regular kid, um, curious, um, ambitious, you know, just trying to learn my way. Definitely trying to learn my way. I think one of my greatest accomplishments as being young is being able to help my mom move into our own house. And I remember when my mom came home one day and said, guys, guess what? I got a new job. I got a new house. We're moving into a new house. And ah, the feeling, you would think she was saying we was going to Disney World, but um, it was just the feeling of, you know, we were going to have our own home instead of living with someone else. It was, a, it was a truly blessing, man. And my mom was, like I said, I can't say enough about my mom. My mom worked very hard. I act just like my mom in so many ways. Uh, my mom, and then I have a lot of cousins. I have a lot of cousins. I have a big family. Um, I have two Uncle Charles. I have one on my dad's side, one on my, one on my mom's side. And um, my dad's side, my, my uncle was someone I looked up to him very much, looked up to him very much. Um, and, you know, he got incarcerated at a young age for me. And when he left, you know, I, I started to look up to other uncles that I had. My mama's brother, youngest brother, his name is Francis, but his nickname is B.O. I started looking up to my uncle B.O. And, you know, he was murdered at a young age, at the age of 22, he was murdered. Um, it just seemed like every time I would just get attached and look up someone, they would always get taken away from me. So that molded me in a few ways. It definitely molded me and had something to do with my upbringing in a, while, in a lot of ways. But I'm blessed. I still had uh, my other Uncle Charles. My other Uncle Charles is a minister who was a true, real definition of a man. Real definition of a man. Very stern, very loving. And my grandfather. My grandfather was... Um, you know, a very strong man as well. My grandmother and my grandfather had 14 kids. And um, <sighs> you got to be strong if, you know, you can deal with 14 kids. And uh, my grandfather was was a great man to me. And unfortunately, him and my grandmother would, had, was taken in a car accident when I was around um, 10, 11 years old. So like I said, it's a part of my story, man. So I keep living. I keep learning. As I got older, around 14 years old, um, I remember me and my mother having a, a huge argument, huge argument. And, you know, at 14, a kid like me feels like they're grown. Probably thought I was 30 or something. And I, I left home. I left home and I went to go live with my uncle Ray, who, who recently just passed about a month, a month and a half ago. My uncle Ray. And um, he helped raise me. He definitely helped raise me. So. It's a lot of people, man, I owe my, my little success to uh, my mother, my uncles, man, and definitely motivate me and, and, and definitely um, and taught me life lessons.
Tommy Lifeless as well. Well, it makes me think of that saying, it takes a village. And like, what a wonderful example of your mom, you know, being the head of that village and then having a family around her, grandparents, uncles. And that's a lot of loss to go through at a young age, where here you are, middle school age and younger, where you're seeing grandparents die tragically. You're seeing an uncle get murdered tragically, and then another uncle be incarcerated. And, and you said that molded you. And how did that mold you as a young middle school student? Um, I think it made me cherish every moment with someone. I say that a lot in life, just cherish every moment I have with someone, because you never know when it's going to end. For a long time, I didn't understand. I didn't understand. I, I could never get and understand why with someone I started to get to love and and be so into and be influenced by and look up too much, so much, and then they, they get taken away. So, you know, it kind of messes me up and makes me question my faith, makes me question my God who does everything because I wouldn't think that a man that loved me and created me that would hurt me as much. So, yeah, being young, of course, a lot of that has to do with being young, not knowing, um, not knowing how to deal with hurt and pain and sorrow and, you know, coming up in a single parent household. My mother don't have time sometimes to listen to all my issues and, and listen to that because she's so busy working. She's so busy working. And, you know, I wasn't going to be the child that brings all this stuff to her. So, you know, I learned how to deal with it on my own. Yeah, I, it makes me cherish every moment with, with anyone I have. And how did you reconcile with your mom after you left when you were 14 to live with your uncle? How did you and your mom reconcile? You know, Jay, that was that was probably the toughest thing I had to do in my life was reconciling with my mother. Leaving home at 14 at a young age, my mom, she was working every day and feeding and clothing me. And for a child that, you know, that she does all those things for, just rebellious, wants to move and get away and, and leave and never come back. Um, I kind of, you know, I used to think that she probably looked at me as my dad at certain, certain things. And, you know, our relationship, it took a real bad turn. Our relationship took a real bad turn. Um, I remember going weeks and almost months without even speaking to my mom. And then when I did see my mom, I didn't recognize her. Or I didn't, you know, recognize that she was in the room or anything. And being young, being dumb, and I know that hurt my mom, um, but not having a relationship with her. And I know it hurt me as well, not having a relationship with your mother, because every child needs a mother and a father. So it definitely hurt me. But um, I'm blessed to say, I'm so blessed to say, me and my mom, the space that we are in now is such a blessing. It's such a blessing. I get way better sleep now because my mom calls me every single day and talks to me and I don't mind her talking to me every single day. And we learned to put the past behind us. And it's going back to what I learned. You cherish every moment you have with a person. You cherish every moment you have with a person. I say this, and I'm going to say this, Jay, because this is new to me in my life. Yesterday, I found out my mother was diagnosed with cancer in the throat. I didn't tell no one. It's the first time me talking about it. And that deals with me. It's dealing with me. But, you know, I talked to my mom yesterday for the first time. I found out this news yesterday. And I called, my mom called me. And I said, Mom, and she said, yeah, this doctor said I got cancer in the throat. But, you know, we serve a bigger card. So, what you doing today? And, I, and for me to be worrying all day yesterday and hear my mom to be that strong and be that tough, it made me tough enough. It honestly made me tough enough and be like, you know what, my mom is, is in great spirits. And so, so we would go to the hospital Monday just to see the treatments that she need to be done. Um, they say it's in stage one. 
is in stage one. So that's a blessing. You know, it was tough just getting that news yesterday. It was very tough, but um, I'm blessed, man. Uh, the devil can't get us wrong with anything, but I'm okay. Thank you for sharing and opening up about that. And it reminds me of that's for the the listener who's like just in the picture of your mom already, it makes sense of that mom that says in the storm with two kids, let's pull over and pray right now. And you pray right now. And then for her to call you and to show genuine joy uh, in the midst of really hard news. Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, it's definitely tough, man. Um, definitely tough. My mom is never smoked, never drunk a day in her life. She goes to church every Sunday. She's, you know, she's the one that put God in me and, and taught me about God. And, and she's the one, she, she's definitely the one that showed me, not with just her, her words, but her actions, what faith was, just what faith was, walking truly by faith, walking by faith, not by sight. I'm proud to say my mother taught me that. It just goes to show her character and how strong my mother is. And of course, being from Eden, North Carolina, you, I guess you got to be strong, but uh yeah, she's great. She's in great spirit. I know we're going to be great. And so just keep me in prayers on that, bro. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And what a pleasure it is for me to reflect back on having a chance to meet your mom at your wedding. That wasn't too long ago, my man. It wasn't long ago at all, Jay. Oh, man. That was a real, it was a real special day. That day is, is probably going to go down in history. It's one of the best days of my life. Just to have my family and my close ones, my circle, and you, the fellowship crew, my, my guys that I just met and told them. I spoke it, Jay. You got to remember, I spoke this into existence. I said, yo, y'all coming to my wedding. Let me just set the stage of what that was like, because here I am. We had launched a new C.L. Thomas Fellowship group and big old personality. King Roy walks in the door and I was so delighted that you're part of it. And then in literally one of the first meetings, you just look around and say, well, yeah, guys, I'm, I'm uh, is who I am, a little bit about my background. And hey, I'm getting married in a few months and you guys are all coming. And then you just continue on with your introduction. And the rest of the guys in the group that were married realized that you just said something that's a big deal because we know having been part of a wedding that you just don't haphazardly give out invitations. I mean, these are golden tickets. You've got uh, <laughs> a budget to think about, limited space to think about. And here you are joining this group who we, we all hope that it turns into a brotherhood. And it did. And at this point, it's just a theory, but you called it into existence, as you said. I mean, it was just it was just natural for me, man. Um, like I said, when the first time I met you and met the fellas, and I, you know, I give so much praise to you because, brother, you put that together. You put that together. It was a time in my life where I needed that. I needed the other guys around, and you know, what I'm saying, uh, picture that. Our neighbors, my neighbor at the time, that's across town from you, that's in Durham, North Carolina told me about your group, I made the push to actually, you know, take the first step and just, okay, really seeing and, and, and trying to see this through and be a part of something. I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to do. It was my first one, but um, it was the best one I've ever had in my life because, because of that, me and you are sitting right here talking. And because of that, Parker, Josh, Brian, um, that was in my wedding, a guy that I met through you in my wedding was in my wedding is a part of that. So, man, I, I know I tell you that a lot of times, but every time I see you, I have to tell you thank you for that because because of that, that, that changed my life. That changed my life, and I know it changed the fellow's life. So, man, you, you're a, a very important piece of my life, bro. I appreciate that, for real. 
Thank you. Well, and it's so fun to have a chance to highlight you and highlight your story during this conversation because during the fellowship, we get a chance to share a story. And, you know, man, I, I tell you what, one thing that I'll never forget and feel free to share as much or as little as you want to, but just would you just reflect on your father? My dad. I think coming up without my dad, um, no matter what, the son has an undeniable love and, you know, respect for his father. No matter what, if he's in his life or not, I know I definitely did. Um, just hearing so many stories about my dad and how much I look like him and, you know, how much I reminded everyone in my family about him and, you know, never seeing him there, never seeing him there. You know, that dealt with me as, as a young kid growing up in the house, you know, having no father there. You kind of learn to, you know, you learn on your own. A lot of questions that you have. My mother's working every day, so she can't answer the questions. She can't talk to me about bullying. She can't talk to me about the girls I made like. She can't talk to me about just, you know, boy stuff because of her, her busy lifestyle was trying to provide and, and you know, and, and raise me and my sister. Every time I met my dad, I remember the first time I met my dad, uh, my grandmother died. Uh, my grandma, Betty Lou, which is his mother, died, and my dad I was, I was, you know, I was waking up by, you know, someone told me my grandma had died and I was hurt. And I remember someone saying, your dad is coming. What? My dad is coming. Like, hold on. Like, this is, this is amazing. I have, you know, I, I would love to see this. And um, my dad actually came first time with me getting to see my dad. I was in middle school. And I never forget running up to him and just hugging him and, and just having, you know, felt like the best day of my life the best day of my life just to sit and talk to my dad and talk his head off and him talking to me and, you know, looking at a mirror reflection of a person that I'm going to look just like in a few years. You know what I'm saying? It was, uh, it was a great feeling, man. And, you know, in the back of my mind, that feeling, you know, is not going to last forever because he's going to leave. And I remember after the funeral, he left and he was gone again. The next time I would see my dad, I was in high school about to graduate. And it was that magic again, seeing my dad again. And just like, no matter, nothing mattered no more. Every time I see you, you see your dad, uh, I understand that now. Um, I would see, you know, I, coming up, I would see, you know, um, boys and girls, you know, react to seeing their dad. And I would see how Penny and the girls react to seeing you. Yeah, like, they never just seen you a few hours ago, a few minutes ago. But I, I didn't understand that until I went through it. And I would see that. My, I would see, see guys after their dad, like, hey, what's up, dad? I, like, I wonder what that feeling is like, like, you know. And then I was able to experience it. And it was, you know, it was definitely, it was definitely tough. Um, the last few times I got to see my dad, I was actually taking care of him. Um, my dad was diagnosed with AIDS, and it was tough. It was real tough for me to accept that. It was real tough for me to accept that. Um, of course, we we know what AIDS are now, but you know, being young, I didn't know. I know what AIDS was, but I really didn't know what AIDS was. I had to, you know, look up and, you know, I end up treating my dad. I end up having my dad take his medicine every day. And I felt honored in doing something so much like that. I felt such an honor in doing that. And, and I'm, I really felt good to be able to do that with my dad. Because at the end of the day, all I wanted to be was with my dad. That's it. The last conversation I had with my dad was a conversation that I needed to have with him. I would say it was a conversation that I've been thinking about since I was a little kid. I never forget my dad was in the hospice and, um, you know, my dad 
wasn't responding that whole day. You know, the nurse was telling me he was just quiet. He wasn't talking. You know, he hadn't opened his eyes that whole day. And I remember clearing the room and I wanted to just speak one-on-one. I think this is the day I actually, you know, grew a chest in a way because I've never in my life wanted to have a conversation as bad as I wanted to have this one. I, I remember walking up to, beside his bed and um, his eyes was closed, of course. He wasn't responding the whole day. And I remember just telling him everything I wanted to say to him. I remember telling him how much I loved him, how much I would never, ever let a man take his space. I, would, I always looked up to him. He was always my hero. And I, I really unloaded all my feelings for the first time in my life, probably about the love and respect I have for my dad. And in that moment, he opened his eyes. He grabbed me. He smiled at me and he passed. I remember, you know, I was just sitting in a room with him as he was, as he was gone and just in a way thanking God that I was able to say what I wanted to say to him before, before his last breath. My dad is, is, is still, still my hero. He still, he still has the utmost respect out of me. And because I look so much like my dad and now I can't change that, he will always be that man to me in my life. My dad used to say something to me when I was young that I, I hold on to so much. He used to tell me so much that can you have so much living to do? He would say that to me so much as, I, as a kid growing up, whenever I would talk to him on the phone, whenever I would sometimes, you know, call his number just to hear his voicemail. Um, I would dial 617-265-2383 as a kid, as I was eight years old, just to hear his voicemail, just to hear him say, hey, this is Roy. I'm answering the phone right now. That number is embedded in me, 617-265-2383, because I know that number just for him to hear his voice. And whenever I did get him on the phone, I would tell him about all these problems I have in school, about girls, about this. And he would clearly say, you know, son, you have so much living to do. And he would say that to me. And the more I got older, I truly understand what he's saying. You have so much living to do. You have trials and tribulations. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to never stop coming. We're gonna, it's going to always be there. But um, just keep in mind, you have so much living to do. That seemed to always refocus me and redirect me to, you know, you're right. I have so much living to do. So I, I guess I'm going to just keep doing that. <laughs> well, it's a powerful story of you recognizing the moment. And that seems to come from that place where your mom said to treasure all the moments. And you took that and the inspiration from her. And then you knew that when you went into the room with your father, and as you mentioned, grew a chest and uh, had a, your first big conversation. Yeah, man, that was um, a special moment. It's one of those moments that I will always hold in my, hold in my heart. And like I said, cherish every moment, bro. Cherish every moment. And how old are you at that point when you had that conversation with your dad? I was 22. Um, like I said, it was my last conversation with my dad. I probably can count on my hands how many conversations I had with my dad, but each conversation, I know what was spoken about. I know the reaction I got. I know how he made me laugh. And I, I, every moment, every moment I cherish, every, every single moment. After he passes, where do you go from there in your life? What was the next step? After he passes, um, my life was different was definitely different. I think um, that was one death in my family that was hard for me to get over. So I, I remember, you know, getting depressed, sinking in depression. I got depressed a lot, um, just thinking about um, never having no more moments like that with my dad. 
Um, not talking to family as much. But I had one thing that always was therapeutic to me, and that was basketball. So no matter what, rain, sleet, snow, I seemed to always find myself back to a basketball by myself, shooting up shots, just being alone because it was so therapeutic to me. It kept my mind away from everything that was going on. At the age of um, 22, uh, still not fully a man, even though I feel like, you know, people may say that I was. I feel like I still wasn't fully a man, still trying to find myself. I wasn't in any relationship, so um, I was just living. I was just living life, a little depressed about things. This thing came along, this great idea of mine's coming along of having my own clothing line. i never forget, man, I was... I always told God I wanted to do something. I wanted to be a businessman. I wanted to have my own clothing line. So I started putting down my ideas on paper, what my clothing line was going to be. And I remember reaching out to all these, you know, fashion designers, all these executives, man, just getting ideas and trying to really get some insight of, you know, what am I going to name my clothing line? And I got some great advice from a man named um, Dustin Bird. Went to high school with me, but he had graduated a couple of years before me and he was doing his own clothing line. And, you know, he was saying, hey, King, let whatever you do represent you and who you are. So before, before God Faith Family, it was going to be unique fashion. Truth be told, it was going to be unique fashions. I, I had this little thing with unique fits. I, I was like, well, everybody always called me unique. And, you know, the U is a different word in the alphabet. And I'm just going to say unique fit. Yeah, unique fit. So that's it. That's it. That's it. And I remember coming up, I was coming up with so many outfits with unique fashions. Unique fashions was going to be the one. I remember presenting this to Bird, right? So I got all these drawings. It's, it's been about a month now. I came up with a logo. I had all these drawings and I was going to present this to Bird to see what he say, to, to get his okay to move forward. I don't know why I was going for his, his okayness, but that's what I was going. I went to Bird just thinking he's going to be so excited. He's going to say, ooh, he's going to say this. And Bird says, nah, that ain't it, King. You got to go deeper than that. It's deeper than that. Here I am a whole month. I've been losing sleep. I haven't been sleeping. I've been up all night, just ambitious, just adrenaline running through my mind and my brains. And just and to him to say, nah, that's not it, King. You got to go deeper than that. I remember grabbing a piece of paper and saying, okay, let me, let me break this down. What's everything to me? What's things that mean everything to me? And perhaps I can take a letter from each one of those things and an acronym and make it something. And I remember saying, okay, God, God is everything. So I'm going to put God, okay, faith. I walk by faith. Okay, I take that faith. And I remember family is everything. And, and those words jumped out on me. God, faith, family, GFF. Instantly, I knew it was going to be that. Instantly, when I looked back down on the paper and I seen GFF with God, faith, family beside it, it was like a, it was a spark. It was an epiphany. It was, it was that moment. It was that moment that I knew it. That following week, it was around November, I went to the mall, Haynes Mall, that's in the city, that's in, in my city, it wants to say North Carolina. I remember getting this black shirt and getting pressed on it, GFF, those three words. And I remember the guy asking me, you just want GFF on it? I said, yeah, 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 just GFF. The two whites, two, the two first letters I want in white, and the last F I want red. And I remember him saying, um, I think that looks goofy. I think you need to make it. I'm just like, listen. GFF, the way I want it, this is what it is. I remember <laughs> I remember him doing it and he putting GFF on it. And 
I remember the next day I wears this shirt, GFF to the mall, and it was born. Godfrey family was born. See him walking because that very shirt that I started with, I got it framed, brother. This is that shirt. The original GFF shirt, framed in everything, man. That is amazing. I'm gonna get that as part of the show notes for all to see the original GFF shirt. That's how it started, and it's been a blessing ever since. Isn't that so interesting to see where that passion came from, from a place of hurt and loss of you lose your father, you're a young man, you're trying to figure life out, and then you start thinking about what's the next step, and you, you feel inspired, and you think that it's it. And what a great example of having a mentor in your life to say, no, nope, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, just to shoot, shoot me all the way back down to the drawing board. But I'm, I'm so grateful for him because without him just telling me that and being truthful with me, you know, it's, it's tough. It's hard for people to be, you know, honest with someone. For him to be truthful with me and tell me, nah, that's not it, King. You got to go deeper than that. Um, him putting that in me made me be like, you know what? I do have to go deeper than that. It's back to my roots and what's been always a part of my roots. Um, well, God has always been there. My mom has taught me about God who, who, who's really do that. Faith. It's always been there. I haven't been doing nothing but walking by faith. It's shown to me by my mother and myself. So, mm. yeah. And family has always been a part of my life. I'm very family-oriented. Very want to be around my family every day. So, God faith family. And the fun part, too, family for you is an extension beyond the immediate bloodline because we had a coffee one time and it was a conversation during just the hardships of COVID-19 and racial tensions and... I remember how you mentioned to me, said, Jay, you know, this is a hard conversation, but the hardest part is you're calling me a friend and I see you as a brother. Yeah, that definitely was, Jay. I would like to say that conversation, it's a couple conversations in my life where I feel like I grew a chest, of course, speaking to my dad and of course, speaking to you, growing a chest, someone that I admire and, had, and, and you know, I look up to Jay. Of course, I love you, man. I love your family. I love Amy. I love all of y'all. And, you know, the first time that I came in your home and we spoke and i never forget, we snapped a picture and we got to know each other. You took me to Floyd. We became family. Floyd and family. You understand? Floyd, Virginia, that, that's family. That's straight family to me. So it was, it was, it was just great, man, just to have that conversation with you. And um, it was very rejuvenating, man. Mm-hmm conversation needed and um like i'm, I'm blessed I'm, I'm actually honored and and i cherish that conversation man i think we took another another step and and making our family our family stronger absolutely i'm so excited to see god at work in your life and it's undeniable from your story and how you turn it around with what it could have been starting in eden and winston-salem and making it south carolina the, the hard losses that you've had in life to allow you to smile from a place of genuineness versus a fakeness. And how do you do that for those that struggle with that? Maybe they've gone through some loss and they want to get to that place of genuine hope. How, how have you gotten there? I would say always being able to laugh at myself. Always being able to laugh, never let no one take my laugh or my smile away. Sounds um, sounds very easy, but you know I definitely understand how the devil can attack and, and, and take your smile and take your laugh away from you from losses that I experienced, from trials and tribulations, from hardships, from 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 you know messed up families and, and, and relationships that I cherished that was hurt that was hurt by. But I think I've always you know had my laughter and I always had my smile, and I like to say you know. 
God has always been with me every step of the way and praying, definitely praying, man. Um, praying is, is definitely a huge, huge part of my life, man. And without praying and being able to go to God, I, I think I know I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Um, so those are the ones that are struggling with that, man, pray, pray about everything. God is everywhere. So you can pray anywhere. You can pray exactly anywhere you want to. Um, just keeping your smile, letting your light shine, man. Don't, don't ever let no trial or tribulation take that. Can't let it take that because when you do, you lost. And I, I would love to go, go on with life knowing that I don't lose about nothing. I just learn lessons. That's great. I love that. Don't lose, learn lessons is an inspiration. And I just appreciate you so much sharing your story and you know the journey that you're on now. Is there anything else that you want to reflect on from your personal journey of people providing for you or how you're trying to do the same in the season of life before we end the conversation? Just to let everyone know, man, better days are coming. Better days are coming. I know right now we're going through a pandemic and things just seem horribly wrong, man. But, you know, continue to walk by faith. Continue to walk by faith. Continue to put your trust and your faith in God. Because he's all I have. He's the one who's created us. He does everything for us. He provides for us. And, you know, sometimes I feel like we, we, get, we, lost, we get lost in that. We worry about jobs. We worry about how we're going to pay bills. We worry about things like that. And just, you know, just stand focused on God. He tells us where we live or we die. He provides for us. He's going to continue to provide for us. I'm definitely just trying to be the best version I can be of myself. And not for myself, but for God. I put God first and for everything. Before I do anything, before I eat, I pray. Before I go into meetings, I pray. Before I meet new people, I pray. And that's that's what it truly means, putting God before everything because he is the source of everything. So that's all. I, honestly, bro, I just thank you. I thank you for this time. I thank you. I'm honored, man, to be, be a part of your, your podcast. I'm honored, bro. Thank you for listening to this episode. Before you take off, I wanted to ask if you would enjoy getting a short email from me every Wednesday called A Kind Word. It provides a little positivity to help you get over hump day. It's free and shares highlights of things that have brought me joy over the past week. If you want to start getting a kind word from me, simply sign up at justinthomascoaching.com by entering your email address and you'll get the next one. That's justinthomascoaching.com. Thanks again for listening. Bless and protect.